You're listening to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM. I'm Garrett Ashley Mullet, and I want to talk about everything. Welcome back to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show. This is Garrett Ashley Mullet coming to you from Greeley, Colorado for episode 309 of this podcast. I took yesterday off. And part of that, a large part of that, was that I got a call about this time. And if I make it through the next 10 minutes or so, I am doing better than yesterday morning. (laughs) But I got a call about 5.30 saying that we had some access issues and it was field-wide. And for the next five and a half hours, I was just calling and texting and emailing and trying to troubleshoot and trying to get people connected and people connected to people who were going to help people get connected and all that good stuff. And there just wasn't time. There just wasn't a good opportunity to record a podcast in there. But so far, so good this morning. And I've got a special treat coming up here later today in the form of a podcast interview I intend to do with Solomon Emmanuel Mullet, aspiring artist and generally creative person that he is. Also, my son, he turns 13 the end of this year, the end of 2022. I still don't know quite yet where we're going to go, but following the tradition that we have established, it's a good tradition Sometimes traditions are really good things, and you should uh, institute them, and you should follow them. But following the tradition we have instituted in our family, he and I are going to go on a father-son trip for his 13th birthday. I don't know where we'll go yet. That's largely up to him. I don't know what we'll do yet. That will be something for us to figure out once we know where we're going. But in any event, stay tuned for that. Check it out when it's available an interview with Solomon. I've done interviews with Daniel and Evelyn thus far. Evelyn first and then Daniel, ladies first. I just have one daughter and uh, she is a unicorn expert or at least was at one point. Dr. Uh, Evelyn G. Mullet, unicorn expert, unicornologist. Uh, But in any event, stay tuned for the interview with Solomon. It will be a treat. No doubt. For this episode, however, I'd like to talk about two books that I finished in the past two days. I am on a roll now. I'm ahead of uh, schedule. I have set a goal for myself of reading 52 books this year. I read 53 books, as it turned out, last year. I forgot one that I had read at the start of the year, Profitable Podcasting. That was the first book I finished in 2021. I initially said that I had read 52, but it actually turned out to be 53. This year, I have set the goal for myself of 52 books. Perhaps we will under-promise and over-deliver. We will see. We'll see how it goes as the year proceeds, but... The two books I've read 
since last episode where we talked about Shoshana Zuboff and the age of surveillance capitalism are Rod Dreher's book, Live Not By Lies, which I finished yesterday, and John Bunyan's The Pilgrim's Progress, which I read the day before on the recommendation of my wife. My wife highly recommended it, recommended it more than once. Her and the kids have gone through it for school a couple of times. And to any of you out there who may be wondering at what age are we going through Pilgrim's Progress with our kids, Enoch will be going through it next school year. So come this fall, he is six, by the way. So the curriculum we're using with our kids for homeschooling, Ambleside Online, it has our kids reading a lot of classical books, a lot of literature, very heavy on the literature, very heavy on original works by famous authors, a brief history of time, I believe is uh, the Stephen Hawking book that some of our kiddos have read and enjoyed. For instance, uh, I don't know what they're reading in the public schools, but these kiddos are reading Stephen Hawking and John Bunyan and the like, Plutarch and the like. But I had not read The Pilgrim's Progress. I had not read John Bunyan until the day before yesterday. And we'll start with that one because I finished that one before I read Dreher's Live Not By Lies, and they do go well together. But The Pilgrim's Progress, for those of you not familiar, was published in 1678. So it's been around for a minute, 350 years thereabouts, or just going on 350 years. And it is the work of allegory best known by a Puritan named John Bunyan. And I haven't read a lot of the Puritans. I've read a lot more about the Puritans in American history and in English history and in church history. But I haven't read a lot by them. And I'm trying to remedy that slowly but surely. I've read Jeremiah Burroughs' The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment in the past year with my friend and pastor, Paul Pavlik. That is also a work of about 300 years, three or 400, between three and 400 years uh, old. The Pilgrim's Progress reads very much in the vein of that work. Also, John Owen's On Temptation, another Puritan writer there, very short work. It was included with Audible Plus. Uh, also, I am in the process of reading still, and I need, I need to get back to it and finish it up. But Jonathan Edwards' Freedom of the Will, speaking on the issue of free will or what we think of as free will. What is free will? What is predestination? What is election? What is the nature of man? But John Bunyan's The Pilgrim's Progress very allegorical, and all of the characters are named as you would 
expect them to be very plainly, speaking very plainly. And it's a very dense book and it's a very poetic book, but it's not, I wouldn't say, a very complicated book. It is straightforward, it's elegant, it is sincere, and there's an earnest commitment, a tireless commitment, I notice among the Puritan writers I've read over the past year, to consistency. Few things are more detestable, more abhorrent to the Puritans than hypocrisy. They do not want to make a pretense of religion. They want themselves and everybody that they come into contact with and their families and their churches and the world to be body and soul, heart and mind, entirely committed to the truth of God's word, to the beauty of the gospel. And they're very comprehensive in their pursuit of that consistency. They're very comprehensive and actually very learned, very well-read themselves, very familiar with antiquity, very familiar with classical allusions to various myths and history and figures, and they interweave all of the same seamlessly and yet always subordinate to references to the scripture. They never lead with the foot of allusions to extra-biblical stories or accounts. They always lead with the scripture. And that says something about what they see to be most authoritative and what they insist on their audience viewing as most authoritative. And I think for the modern reader, for the modern mind, that can feel very foreign, particularly in very modern, very contemporary Christian literature. What is most popular very often, all too often, leads with some other hook because the scriptures are old and tired and boring and not highly thought of in so many people's minds. We have to get people in by drawing their attention to something else that they do like, and then we'll sneak some Jesus in there. We'll sneak the gospel in there. We'll do what Douglas Murray refers to as Jesus smuggling, or he refers to somebody who refers to it as Jesus smuggling, and he adopts that term as well. Douglas Murray, British writer, thinker, does a panel discussion with Sam Harris and Jordan Peterson a few years back in which he moderates, uh, but of course participates as well because people want to hear what Douglas Murray has to say. But he calls it Jesus smuggling when you're talking about one thing with a Christian and the conversation's going along, going along, and they're making arguments that seem like they're leading up to, and there it is, trying to get you to become a Christian. And there's a sense in which not only does it speak to a insecurity on our part regarding the scriptures, that we don't lead with the scriptures, we don't lead with the authority of God's word first and foremost and last, 
the first word and the last word being God's word. It isn't just insecurity. There's also a sense in which atheists and those who are the sharpest tacks among the godless are turned off by the manipulative nature of that. Or we start on one premise and then we try to do a bait and switch with them. We try to get them to agree with a whole lot of things as a way of getting them to buy what we're selling, almost like a used car salesman. You get people saying, yes, 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 yes. Would you like a cup of coffee? Yeah, yes, I'd love a cup of coffee. Okay. Would you like a donut too? Sure, yeah, yeah. Please have a seat. How about the weather? It's beautiful, isn't it? Oh, yeah, that's beautiful. How would you like to buy this brand new car? Now, now, wait a second. Wait a second. Okay. That's what all of this was about. Oh, no, 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 no. I'm just, you know, I assumed, assumed that you're here talking to me because you want to buy a new car. And, you know, I mean, we could do it. We could run your credit real quick. There's a sense in which the Puritans leading and ending on God's word and the truth of God's word, the plain and simple truth of God's word is refreshing for its sincerity, for its earnestness, for its confidence, and for its honesty. So I think we do well to read someone like John Bunyan and let them not just tell us things, but also set an example for us. I think we do well in some measure. There are certain aspects of their example that I think we would not do well to follow. In fact, I think the language and the verbiage, we shouldn't go around talking like Puritans and trying to imitate their form. But I do think we should be trying to adopt a very similar mindset. I don't think that we have to have all the trappings, wearing funny hats and the odd 17th century stockings and jackets and all that. I don't think we need to grow Van Dyke uh, facial hair. <laughs> but I do think that we need to have a very similar commitment to consistency. Jesus warns against few things as heatedly as he does warning against hypocrisy and being like the Pharisees who make a pretense of religion, but all the while it's about human tradition. And I think that would be a mistake too if we followed, imitated, emulated the Puritans just because they're older. No, no. Imitate them because they're imitating Christ or they're earnestly trying to apply God's word to every area of life. And they're going for purity. That's the root word of Puritan. Purity. They want purity of thought, purity of sentiment, purity of life. To be holy, for he is holy. Moving on, though, from Pilgrim's Progress to a book I very much enjoyed and I was greatly surprised by Dave Kanashog and Michelle Kanashog from Church two people who are very dear and sweet to Lorne and I. Very much an encouragement in our lives, in the lives of our family. 
recommended this book to me uh, last Sunday, actually. And I had seen it. I knew that it was out there. I knew that it existed. I also saw my friend Bobby McPherson was reading it on Goodreads. And I thought, oh, interesting. Okay. Oh, Bobby's reading Live Not By Lies. And then I talk with Dave Kanashog, and he tells me he just finished this book, and it was really, really good, and it was really encouraging. And here are the things that he learned and was challenged by in Live Not By Lies. And so I decided I would pick it up, and I did, and I, I read it yesterday. I started it yesterday, finished it yesterday. It was only six hours. I listened on double speed, so it took me about three hours on and off throughout the day. I was familiar with Rod Dreher's earlier work, The Benedict Option, which I I respect. I, I respect what he is trying to do, and I think there's an originality to what he's arguing, at least in terms of what I've read other places, that I like and I find refreshing in The Benedict Option. But I'm not sold on elevating the monastic tradition I'm going to have to think about that. I'm going to have to chew on that. I don't like that he's a never-Trumper, but I can respect his reasons. His stated reasons for being a never-Trumper seem sincere, and they seem like the the right reasons to be a never-Trumper. right? If there are any reasons that I respect for being a never-Trumper, they are the reasons that are bound up in not wanting to sacrifice our high ideals genuinely. And when somebody can pay compliments genuinely to what Trump and his campaign and his administration did, while at the same time issuing believable critiques in good faith of things that were said and done that are objectively not praiseworthy. And if someone can say, in light of those, the whole kit and caboodle, they don't embrace, they don't jump on the Trump train, as it's called. Well, then I can disagree with that respectfully, but genuinely respect the person who says, not for me. Now, when people make a pretense, that drives me nuts. When it seems as though the reasons for opposing Trump have more to do with trying to save our own necks from being attacked by the left, being canceled by our friends, by our coworkers, by our colleagues, by broader society... When those seem to be the real reasons, but the stated reasons in Christian company are a pretense or seem to be a pretense at piety, I have no patience for that. And again, that goes back to what I'm enjoying as I read more of the Puritans about the Puritans is they're not afraid to step on toes. And I think that's somewhat the test. It's perverse when somebody needs to step on toes on a regular basis in order to feel even keeled. When that's their default, I think what you call that person is a contentious person. And the New Testament warns us to have nothing to do with contentious people. People who try to stir up controversy and strife just for the sake of it, just to stir the pot, just to get everybody ruffled, you should warn them. And if they keep on like that, have nothing to do with them. It's kind of like casting your pearls before swine. They like to argue semantics. They like quarrels about words, which only ruin the hearers. And besides that, do no good. 
But I don't get the sense that Rod Dreher is a contentious person on the one hand, and I don't get the sense that he's a surrenderer. I don't get the sense that he is in a hurry to raise the white flag and give up the ship. In fact, quite the opposite. And especially in light of this most recent book, The Manual for Christian Dissidents, is the subtitle. I cannot speak highly enough of what I read. I highly, highly recommend. Five stars. I give this one five out of five stars. I am somewhat stingy with my five-star ratings. And at some point I should go back. And my wife, Lauren, drew attention to this in my two episodes that I recorded outlining all of the books I read last year. I didn't tell y'all which books were my favorite. I You might discern it from the commentary I gave, but it was a little bit fast. And uh, at some point I should tell you guys which books I've given five-star ratings to. It's a much shorter list than the list of books that I've read. I will be fairly generous with four stars. I hardly ever give a one or a two-star rating to anything. Usually I can justify giving a three-star rating even to the books I don't like most, I dislike most. Typically, if it's going to be a one or a two-star book, uh, I'm not going to read it to begin with. Why would I waste my time? I'm going to try and be careful about it on the front end and not read that book. But three stars, as bad as low as we go. Four stars, that's where most of the books that I think well of reside. Five stars, I'm going to be coming back to this one and referring to it again and again for some time. I may even reread this book because it was that good. Live Not By Lies gets five stars from me. And for those of you unfamiliar, the premise is this. If you haven't noticed, I mean, suppose you're an American citizen. You've been paying attention. You're not just camping out in your house in the mountains for years on end. You haven't been disconnected from society for the past decade or two or three. We seem to be on our way to instituting communism, out-and-out communism. Some things which, call them whatever you will, have far more in common with communism than they do with what we should recognize historically as America some things which by any other name would smell as rotten and yet are communist have already been instituted in America, but we are drifting ever closer with each passing week, month, and year towards communism, towards instituting communism, Venezuela-style, China-style, Russia-style, Never mind that it has been a disaster everywhere that it's been tried. Hold my beer, say the American leftists. We want to give it another go, this time with feeling. Once more with feeling. And I'll just level with you. Most of the time, 
when I talk about communism in America, when I don't talk about it in historical terms, but I talk about it in contemporary terms, like right now, right now you have communists in this country. I feel as though the very moderate, peaceable, and sadly naive or ignorant of my friends and family get this glazed look in their eyes as if they can't really imagine that communists are real. As if communists are some made-up bogeyman. Oh, yeah, no, they... They died out with the dinosaurs millions of years ago. It's a good thing they don't exist anymore, if they ever did. But people are just not terribly concerned about communism. And that drives me crazy. That just drives me up the wall. And all I can conclude is we haven't read a history book. We haven't read a modern history book. We don't know what terrible, awful things have happened in countries where there was a ambivalence towards the rise of communism. We don't know what terrible, awful things have happened to men, women, and children time after time after time in totalitarian communist dictatorships. And what do you do, right? What, what do you do with the folks who don't want to hear it? They don't want to know. They don't know and they don't want to know. It really just gets their anxiety, right? They're really trying to think happy thoughts and they're really trying to be positive. And you going there is a buzzkill. Well, what I do with such people is I try to say as little to them as I can manage. And quite frankly, I try to disassociate from them to a large extent because I don't want to become like them. And if they're not willing to join me in trying to think through the thorny problem of what are we going to do about this, I need to go find people who will because this is extremely serious. This is an existential crisis. If it were raining cats and dogs right now, literally outside my house, and my basement were flooding like it did last year, last April, I believe it was. I'd have to go back and look. But early last year, last spring, there was this really hard rain one day, and it flooded our basement. Not terribly, but enough. Enough to make an issue and to occupy our time and attention for several weeks, trying to dry the carpets out, make sure that they were really, really, truly dry, the pads were dry underneath. Worries about mold and about that smell and what do you do with it and this is gross and all that good stuff took a lot of our time and attention. And they had to. Now, if somebody had told us on the front end, it's going to rain like that, and if you do these four or five things that'll take you about an hour, You'll save yourself a lot of sweat and frustration and more time, far more time than one hour when the rain comes. But the rain is coming. It's in the forecast. If somebody had told us that, we would have done 
all in our power to invest that hour or so. I don't know if we would have gone as far as putting up sandbags, but we would have, if we needed to, I would have rather bought some sandbags or some such to create a makeshift barrier to keep the water from coming in. I would have rather that than vacuuming with wet dry vac for several hours and it's still not being dry. And then you call somebody out with some fans to blow them under the carpet. We can pay attention now or we can pay attention later. We can invest the time and attention now on the front end or we can regret having been warned and paying a much higher cost for negligence later. And Rod Dreher's book is all about an ounce of prevention being worth a pound of cure. Spiritually, relationally, mentally, emotionally, in all ways. The book goes back and forth between explaining where we're at right now, like right now, with big tech surveillance. Actually, I geeked out about it, something fierce. I was hooting and hollering in the bathroom trying to trim my beard before taking a shower. Rodre her referenced Shoshana Zuboff's book, The Age of Surveillance Capitalism, in Live Not By Lies. And that was the book I had read just the day before, finished reading the day before. And I love when that happens. I love when I'm reading people who reference other people that I'm reading. So Live Not By Lies, Rod Dreher, he's referencing Shoshana Zuboff, and he's referencing Aldous Huxley and George Orwell and various others. But he gets the title for his book from a line by Alexander Solzhenitsyn, Russian dissident who came up with this very short phrase to describe why he couldn't go along with the communists in Russia. Live not by lies. These people are trying to control what you can say, what you can think, what you can feel. There is not a stone in you that they will leave unturned in their pursuit of absolute power. They want to control everything. And that means controlling you and everything about you. That includes what you say, what you think, what you feel. And Dreher goes and interviews people who have lived in communist countries, lived under communist rule, and came to America to get away from it, who are floored that we are letting this happen to our country and we're oblivious. And you try to talk about it in the church, and very often you get overly pious-sounding but entirely therapeutic dismissal from people who just want to enjoy their Xanax and their on-demand TV shows and their family game night. They want to enjoy their quiet, contemplative life. And because what you're saying is upsetting, they're going to throw Bible verses at you. Be anxious for nothing. Well, yes, be anxious for nothing, but you got to take the whole counsel of God into consideration 
in your application of that passage. Be wise as serpents, harmless as doves. Are you being wise as serpents or are you just being harmless as doves? You know, Jesus did say two things. He said to, to be and do two things there. Be wise as serpents. At the same time, you're being harmless as doves. You're, you're doing the one thing. You're being harmless as a dove. But you're not being as wise as serpents right now. He said he was sending us out as sheep among wolves. And for the majority of us, it's going to take seeing the wolves tear limb from limb, our fellow sheep, before we wake up and take it seriously. Before we realize that an hour spent now is worth 16 hours later. If you think you don't have time, if you think it would be a buzzkill now, just wait until the memory of my trying to give you the heads up is ringing in your ears after the fact. Rod Dreher references Shoshana Zuboff in the age of surveillance capitalism, talking about big tech and how we are just giving our privacy away left and right and center. And I am as much involved in that as anybody. I don't begrudge anybody who has been more private than I have out of concerns for how their private information might be, might be misused. I have made a conscious decision and it is a gamble. I realize that, but to be so overt that I'm covert as Robert Downey Jr.'s Sherlock Holmes says in a game of shadows, which we are watching right now, by the way, small plug for that movie. It's a great movie. Fantastic. I enjoy that movie so much. It does seem like it flirts with making Sherlock out to be a bit queer. Now, he's odd, but that's not the kind of queer that I think they're trying to flirt with him being. But that's a topic for another day. Rod Dreher conducts interviews with people who've lived under communism where the state wanted to know everything about you. Everything, everything you think, everything you feel, everything you do, everywhere you go, everybody that you know, what you do for a living, what you don't do. And at any moment, you might be made an example of, even if you're innocent, maybe especially if you're innocent, but it could be useful to the collectivist central planners. We are giving our information over with reckless abandon and have been for years, our smartphones, our social media, our choice of search engines, and it's being sold. Our information is sold to folks who want to manipulate us and use us and devour us, swallow up the course of our paths, as Isaiah chapter 3 says. My people, your guides have misled you. And they wouldn't have misled us if they hadn't known which lies we find persuasive, which lies we find pleasant, like we're living in the matrix, like we are the traitor from the first matrix movie, which they should have stopped with, by the way. That was enough. Another movie my family and I watched here this past week. 
as we're trying to get the kids settled down in the evening and Lauren's trying to take it easy because she's very pregnant, we watched The Magnificent Seven. And I have informed my family and anybody else who will listen, I intend to refer to my sons henceforth, once Andrew is born, as The Magnificent Seven. Uh, we had to watch the movie in order for that to make sense to my children. My wife wasn't sure she'd ever seen it, which is like, oh, oh, wow. Like, I'm failing as a husband. Come on, let's watch this movie. But we watched it, and it was great. It was fantastic. Everybody enjoyed it. It was it was uh, magnificent, of course. And at the tail end, as everybody, you know, I'm, I'm telling the kids to go ahead and, you know, pick up your plates and let's tidy up let's do our chores get ready for bed Amazon was showing you know if you enjoyed this movie you might also enjoy these others recommended based on this title and there's a sequel to The Magnificent Seven called The Return of The Magnificent Seven so I was like oh what's that there's a sequel and I'm like yeah no, I, I didn't know there was a sequel and I've never seen the sequel. Oh, there's a trailer for it. Well, okay, yeah, let's watch the trailer for it. And the trailer is just... Bleh. The trailer tells you everything you need to know about don't watch the sequel. It's just cringy. And it's very cheap. It cheapens the legacy of the first movie. So also with the uh, Matrix series. The original Matrix movie... They should have just been content to say that. That's it. Enough with the sequels. Let's create some original stories. But the traitor in the first Matrix movie wants to forget the real world and he wants to escape into the Matrix. He wants to believe that the Matrix is real. He wants to be wealthy and have whatever he wants. Eat lots of steak. He's plum tickled if his brain makes it real if they will help him to make it real again he wants the equivalent of a lobotomy in exchange for betraying the rest of humanity he's very much a Judas Iscariot and the uncomfortable thing is the folks that are not willing to stand up now but they think themselves Christians Dreher talks about that as well. There are some sincere believers, and then there's also a lot of folks who believe that they're believers, but they admire Jesus, and they don't follow Jesus. They admire Jesus, but they don't believe in him. A lot of those types are found out when communism takes over your country. When communism happens to your country, and an untoward word against the regime a disloyal, critical comment about the latest policy update from the commissar can have you taken away in the middle of the night to be tortured, to be detained indefinitely, questioning the legitimacy of an election, for instance, might see you locked away at best. Or maybe you'll kill yourself. Maybe you'll commit suicide. And hopefully, word will get around to all the other sheep. This is what happens when you stand up. 
We have radical leftists in this country, if you haven't noticed, who want communism. And they know from experience and from common sense that genuine believers in Christ are a major threat. Christians who don't fear man but fear God are a major threat to people whose regimes are predicated on terror for everyone, good, bad, and ugly, totalitarians rule by terror. And you have to pretend that you love them or else they'll destroy you. At the same time, all of that's very sobering, to put it mildly to realize that's where we're at. It's comforting for me to read Rod Dreher saying, oh yeah, no, absolutely. Like cancel culture, wokeism, social justice, the way that it's being billed, this collectivism business. Oh, this is absolutely on the warpath to communism. No doubt about it. It's comforting for me to hear him say that like, oh, okay, cool. Like I'm not taking crazy pills. It's also comforting to hear him talk with people who lived the Christian life under communist rule, and they endured, they persevered, they stood the test, their faith was tested, and they passed by God's grace. That's very, very encouraging. It's also very encouraging to hear Dreher talk about the need for us to build up our families Build up a strong marriage. Build up a strong relationship with your children. Build up your church so that your church is strong and founded on the rock. That was the whole basis for our naming on the rocks blog on the rocks blog back in the day, going on seven years ago. Anyone who hears my words and lives by them He's like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And Jesus says the rains will come when the rains come, when the wind blows, when the storm happens. That house that's built on the rock will stand. The house that's built on the sand, not so much. I got to leave it there, though. That's enough for this episode. Check out both of these books. They're very, very good. Rod Dreher's Live Not By Lies, Manual for Christian Distance. If you haven't ever read John Bunyan's The Pilgrim's Progress, check that one out as well. It's a little bit of an acquired taste, but very poetic, very sincere. It's a good read as well. As always, thank you for listening. Until next time, God bless. You've been listening to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM. For more content like what you just heard, subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. Also check out thegarrettashleymulletshow.com to subscribe to email alerts when new episodes are published. As always, you can reach me with any comments, questions, complaints, objections, or insights at garrettashleymullet at protonmail.com.